You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. God is never caught off guard as we are when we are surprised by someone's trickery or treachery. And what God did for David, folks, I want you to know that he will also do for you. Absalom, we will discover later on in one of our future studies, loses his life following Hushai's advice. So God is just laying Absalom's plan play out here. If we were to read the account of Absalom's attempt to overthrow King David for the first time, many of us would be certain David will fall. However, as you're probably well aware and have heard many times, God allowed no such thing to happen. In today's message, Pastor Mike reflects on God's protection over David, and you have that same protection. In his study, you'll be reminded that even when all odds are against you, God can and will provide when you need it most. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 17 as he continues his message, The Greatness of God. Now concerning these mighty men that followed David, who were loyal and faithful, and continue to be loyal and faithful to David, who followed David out of the city of Jerusalem. Remember, these were truly mighty men, the mighty men of David. Now this is not the first time that we were introduced to this group of of men. Just to kind of give you an idea of how mighty that they uh, were, in chapter 23 of 2 Samuel, in verse 8, we were told that just one of these mighty men, on one occasion going out to battle, himself alone killed 800 men. Now this is no fable, folks. This is Bible truth. Could you imagine that? One man killed 800 men, 800 men on one occasion. So uh, as I had mentioned previously in one of the studies when we were first introduced to these mighty uh, men of David, you know, this guy could have had his own Marvel series or something on television or, you know, on comic book. And uh, truly, these guys were ferocious in uh, battle. And uh, they were enraged at what was going on. And notice they were likened to a bear, a mother bear, robbed of her cubs in the field. Now, I, I, we used to live in Alaska, and many of you uh, know that. There was a time when... Uh, my wife and I, we purchased this lease 
of a cabin out in the wilderness. And the only way that you can get out there, we actually were planning on going moose hunting. Now, could you imagine a, a kid from Hoboken, New Jersey, in Alaska, you know, flying into this remote area on the Arctic Circle in Alaska to go moose hunting? I had never shot a gun before in my life. And uh, so off I go. We get onto this plane, myself, my wife, and uh, another couple from the church that we were attending at that time, actually a church that we were serving in as a, as a deacon, to go moose hunting. And so I got this 30 6 rifle. I got my side you know, pistol, uh, a 440 Magnum, and, uh, and off we go into the wilds. We, we land on this lake, on, the, on this plane, a little Cessna, on floats. We get out, and, uh, and off we go. And as we're traveling along, there's no roads or anything. You, you know, you make your path through the woods, and we would follow the, the path that was made by the lake and the perimeters around the lake looking for, you know, tracks for moose. We didn't find any moose, by the way. I, I, still to this day, I never shot a moose or anything. And I, I'm, gl I'm actually glad that I'm able to say that. I wouldn't go moose hunting any longer. Just in case there are any animal lovers here, I just wanted to clarify that. But anyway, as we were traveling one of the paths, you know, looking for a moose that we never found, okay, we actually ran up against a mother bear with her cubs. And let me tell you something, here's a kid from Hoboken, New Jersey. I was totally freaked out. Now, we couldn't go forward because the mother bear was just, you know, running around in the bush, and we saw the cubs. The cubs actually treed and were up in the, on some of the branches of the trees, and the mother is grunting and making sounds and roaring, and, and we're freaking out. And I got my, you know, my gun is loaded, and I'm just waiting for the bear to run out of the bush to attack us. Our backs are up against the lake, and thank God that never happened. But you don't want to mess around with a mother bear who has cubs. I've gone a long way to make this point. But that's how ferocious these guys were and how upset they were with what was happening to their king, David. And so the reference to that. Well, anyway, in verse 9, surely by now he is hidden in some pit. So the idea here is you're not going to find David anyway if you send out a group of men to kill David, or in some other place. Where is that other place? You're not going to be able to even find him. And it will be when some of them are overthrown by these mighty men. It doesn't matter how many you send out you know, to track David down and kill him. These mighty men are going to be able to overtake you. There's no way that you're going to come up against them with, according to, notice there, the 12,000 in verse 1 of chapter 17. They're no match. For David and his mighty amen. So he's suggesting this. And it will be that when some of them are overthrown at the first, that whoever hears it will say, there is a slaughter among the people who follow Absalom. And even he who is valiant, whose heart is like the heart of a lion, will melt completely for all Israel, knows that your father is a mighty man. And those who are with him are valiant men. In other words, you're not going to be able to overtake him. And when news gets back being devastated by these mighty men, it's going to come back and, and people are going to abandon your plan. And so, therefore, I advise that all Israel be fully gathered to you. So you need to go out with more than uh, 12,000. From Dan to Beersheba, like the sand that is by the sea for multitude, 
and that you go to battle in person. In other words, you lead the troops yourself, Absalom. So we will come upon him, David, in some place where he may be found, and we, notice Hushai includes himself in this plan, you know, just to make it more credible, this wasn't his intent at all. Remember, he's looking to sway Absalom from going out against David, because at this time, if he actually went out against David, he would find him and kill him. And we will fall on him as the dew falls on the ground, and of him and all the men who are with him, there shall not be left so much as one. Moreover, if he has withdrawn into his city, then all Israel shall bring ropes to that city, and we will pull it into the river until there is none, not one small stone found there. So, this is Hushai's rebuttal. What was involved? This was his suggestion. If you go out against David now, most likely you're not going to find him. And if you did, you could count on a significant loss of life. And that may result in all of Israel, notice according to verse 9, hearing an exaggerated report about the number of deaths of your military. And as a result of the false rumor, your fighting men would lose heart. So instead, gather all the fighting men of Israel with Absalom, you riding at the head, find David, descend upon him in such numbers that he can't escape. But really what Hushai is seeking to do is counsel to delay. Do you see that? Why? Because he's wanting David to have some time to be able to escape, to recover, to fortify himself. The intention is to give David time to recover from his fatigue, as well as gain the security of some well-fortified city. And so the pause will also give the people in league with Absalom some time to reflect upon what they have done. His hope was that this, this revolt will, seem, uh, will be seen in its true perspective, that they will begin to have second thoughts, and Absalom will lose his momentum. Well, Hushai's counsel pleases the deluded prince and notice in verse 14, let's go back to our text now. There we read, So Absalom and all the men of Israel said, The advice of Hushai, the archite, is better than the advice of Ahithophel. Do you see that there? So now Absalom's faith has been sealed. And Hushai has won over the war cabinet. But this is just God intervening on behalf of David. Because notice, let's go back to our text, notice the latter part of verse 14. You see, God is involved in this whole thing that's going on here. David hasn't been forsaken by God. Listen, David wasn't perfect, right? He had his ups and downs. You know, he wavered back and forth. He had his own failures and faults. He had sinned. Remember, particularly in his committing adultery with Bathsheba, but nevertheless, God had never forsaken David. There was a time when David even turned his back on God and had forsaken God. But nevertheless, God had never forsaken David. And God was still working on David's uh, behalf. Because notice what we read there. For the Lord had purposed to defeat 
the good advice of Ahithophel to the intent that the Lord might bring disaster to Absalom. You see, God is never caught off guard as we are when we are surprised by someone's trickery or treachery. Let me say that again. And this is very important to realize. God is never caught off guard as we are when we are surprised by someone's trickery or treachery. And what God did for David, folks, I want you to know that he will also do for you. Absalom, we will discover later on in one of our future studies, loses his life following Hushai's advice. So God is just letting Absalom's plan play out here. He had been persuaded by a speech that pulled the wool over his eyes. Notice it was full of vague references. Like, for example, some other place, verse 9. What was that other place? Some place where he is to be found. What other place was David going to be found? Notice in verse 12. An unnamed city that David had fled to some unnamed city. What unnamed city? Also, there was a contradiction describing David and his men. And one thing, he says, the valiant men. There's no way that you're going to be able to overtake David because of his valiant men. And now all of a sudden he's saying, you know, with more men, you're going to be able to be to accomplish that. So all of these vague suggestions here, vague uh, references in Hushai's speech. And now Hushai must get the word to David of what's going on. You see, orders have already been given about where and when the combined forces of Israel and Judah are to meet and what the plan of attack will be. And so Hushai leaves the palace under the pretense he is going to the tabernacle to worship, and there he confers with the priests, who, by the way, are also loyal to David. When we were first introduced to these two priests, remember, they wanted to follow David while he was fleeing the city of Jerusalem. But he thought it best that they stay behind. Remember, they, they had actually met in the gate of the city of Jerusalem with the Ark of the Covenant. They wanted to bring along the Ark of the Covenant with David as he was fleeing the city of Jerusalem. Okay, so now Hushai meets with these priests there at the tabernacle. Let's pick up now in verses 15 and 16. Then Hushai said to Zadok and Abiathar, the priests, Thus and so Ahithophel advised Absalom and the elders of Israel, and thus and so I have advised. So he tells him about the plan. Now therefore, send quickly and tell David, saying, Do not spend this night in the plains of the wilderness. In other words, he needs to find cover but speedily cross over, that is the Jordan River, lest the king and all the people who are with him be swallowed uh, up. Okay, so Zadok and Abiathar cannot leave the tabernacle precincts you know, to send word to David without arising suspicion. So what do they do? Well, according to verse 17, they send a loyal and trustworthy maid to fetch water from the spring and rugel outside 
the city where the sons of these priests are in hiding. Let's read verse 17. Now Jonathan and Ahiamez stayed at Enrugal, for they dared not be seen coming into the city. So a female servant would come and tell them, and they would go and tell King David. Okay, so as soon as they receive information, they try to slip away, but are seen by a young man who report to Absalom. That is, these two sons of the priests. And notice what it says in verse 18. Nevertheless, a lad saw them as they were making their way towards David to alert him of what was going on. And he, this young lad, told Absalom. But both of them went away quickly and came to a man's house in Baruch, who had a will in his court, and they went down uh, into it. Okay, so the lad comes back to Absalom, tells him about how the priests had dispatched their sons to warn David. Soldiers are dispatched. They're closing in on these two young men, and they take refuge in a home of one who is still loyal to David. Let's read on, verses 19 through 20. Then the woman took and spread a covering over the well's mouth. In other words, the two young uh, sons of the priest actually enter into the well in hiding from these uh, men who had been dispatched by Absalom. And they spread ground grain on it, and the thing was not known. It was covered. And when Absalom's servant came to the woman at the house, they said, Where are Ahimez and Jonathan? And so the woman, who was loyal to David, said to them, They have gone over the water brook, and when they had searched and could not find them, they returned to Jerusalem. And as soon as it is safe, the woman opens the well, and the boys climb out, and then they continue along the way to meet with David to let him know about Absalom's plan. Verses 21 and 22. Now it came to pass, after that they had departed, those men who were seeking them, that they came out of the well and went and told King David and said to David, Arise and cross over the water, the Jordan River, quickly, for then has Ahithophel advised against you. And so David and all the people who were with him, this large company, arose, crossed over the Jordan, and by morning light not one of them was left who had not gone over the Jordan. Okay, and so when the news was brought back to David, David and his men aroused their wives and children. Then in an orderly manner, they crossed the ford of the Jordan River, and by dawn all have placed the river between themselves and Absalom. And finally, we have recorded for us the tragic end of Ahithophel. Notice, Ahithophel, we are taken back to the palace in the text. It is still the day of Absalom's triumphant entry into the city. With the success of Hushai's plan, Ahithophel knows that all is lost because he didn't act quickly enough. And Absalom 
faces certain defeat. So Ahithophel knows that. He realizes the young king has thrown away the advantage of his coup attempt. And it will now be only a matter of time before David regains the throne. So what does Ahithophel do? Well, verse 23, we read, Now when Ahithophel saw that his advice was not followed, he saddled a donkey and arose and went home to his house, to his city. Then he put his household in order and hanged himself. And he died and he was buried in his father's tomb. Because he knew when David regained the throne that David would put him to death. So he, I guess he thought it best to take his own uh, life. So a tragic end for such a gifted man. Okay, so what do we learn here through all of this? Listen, this is not a history lesson. And I know, I, you know, I've gone a long way to make these final points before we close out this message. But listen, anyway... Remember what this message is all about, the title of this message. What was that? The greatness of God. You see, though unseen, he was definitely active in all that transpired. He orchestrated all of the events, all of the details, protecting, providing for his son David. Listen, you know what's gone on here? We have just been given a brief look behind the curtain that separates this world from the next, quelling the revolt against David, and as we will see in one of our future studies, and the restoration of David to Israel's throne. And all of this was nothing more than the reflex of God's sovereign will. And as I mentioned before, what God did for David, he will also do for you. So listen, let me ask you a couple of questions in closing. What are you going through right now? What are you dealing with? And I, susp I suppose that many of you feel as if your backs are up against the wall. You're facing a diabolical enemy, an enemy that is greater and larger than yourself, something that you cannot contend with, or at least you feel as if you can't contend with. You've turned everywhere to find an answer and a solution to your problems. But listen, be sure of this. If you are in Christ, and listen, I want to emphasize that, because we don't have any guarantees, there are no insurances. That is, unless we are in Christ, be sure if you are in Christ, God is actually involved in all that is transpiring in your life's experience. And He is great to show his love, he is great to show his concern, he is great to show his provision and his protection for you and for me. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house, where I long. We're so glad you joined us today for In My Father's House. Pastor Mike has been taking you through the book of 2 Samuel, an Old Testament book that continues the story of David. David was a great king, loved by many, and forever etched in history as a man after God's heart. Yet, he wasn't perfect. God used David in powerful ways. 
even after he had failed. And God can use you, too. Are you still seeking the Lord? Are you repentant when you fall? God sees your heart, and He's merciful, and He has great plans for you. Continue to trust in His goodness and faithfulness, and let Him use you to bring glory to His name and share the good news of the hope that's found in Christ. If you'd like to explore more messages from Pastor Mike, visit HarvestNYC.org or find the podcast on your favorite podcast app. Be sure to subscribe. That way you'll be notified every time we post a new edition of the show. Just search for In My Father's House with Mike Venizio. If you're in Midtown Manhattan, we'd love for you to come visit us this Sunday at Harvest Christian Fellowship. There's easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. Find out more on our website, harvestnyc.org. Make plans to join us on Thursdays, too. We're meeting virtually to jump back into the Word midweek and worship the Lord. That starts at 7.30 p.m. online at harvestnyc.org. That's all we have time for today. Join us again for more right here on In My Father's House.